Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a lot to talk about today. It's been an interesting week. For my money, the biggest uh, news story took place on Tuesday, and uh, no, it was not the New Hampshire primary. On Tuesday of this week, I'm, I'm sad to report the passing of U.S. talk show host and TV legend Jack Parr. I want to talk a little bit about Jack Parr in our third segment today because I think, uh, I think we owe him a great deal and I think that we have deliberately tried to create in this program a show that incorporates a bit of what Jack Parr brought to the American public intelligent discussion of issues mixed with comedy, uh, blending a sort of talk show format that we now sort of accept as standard, uh, something didn't exist until Jack Parr came along, with talks with experts. Uh, Jack Parr famously at one point took the camera crew, went to Africa, went up one of the rivers, I guess, in Gabon to interview Albert Schweitzer in the field. He was a remarkable guy. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about him in segment three. We're also going to mourn the passing of another TV giant, Bob Keeshan, the man who for 29 years, I think, played um, Captain Kangaroo and provided America's youth with a standard which I think was seldom equaled and uh, very rarely excelled. We need to talk about both these men, and we will do so in our third segment today. But stay tuned in particular for our second segment today. We're going to have on longtime investigative journalist Jerry Polakoff. He sent us numerous emails, which we've read about, uh, read, read to you on the air in the past. But looking forward to having Jerry on the show, and he will talk a bit about what's happening on the political scene in our second segment. But before we get into politics today, I wanted to do a, uh, a little bit of a few science issues. But you know what? Before we even do that, let's do a little bit of email. Jill sent us the following. And... Um, I was quite struck by this email. This is one of those self-tests that you have to not cheat on and answer, you know, honestly, that reveals something about yourself. Okay, here goes. Uh, This test has only one question, but it's an important one. Please don't answer it without giving it a bit of serious thought. And by giving an honest answer, you'll be able to test where you stand morally. This test features an unlikely, completely fictional situation where you'll have to make a decision one way or the other. Remember that your answer needs to be honest, yet spontaneous. All right, here goes. You're in Florida. There's chaos going on around you caused by a hurricane and flooding. There's huge masses of water that are swirling around. You are a CNN photographer. You're in the middle of this great disaster. You're trying to shoot some impressive photos. There's houses and people floating by. They're disappearing in the water. Nature's showing all of its destructive power. Suddenly, you see a man in the water. He's fighting for his life. He's trying not to be swept away by the masses of water and mud. You move closer. He looks familiar. You know who it is. It's George W. Bush. 
At the same time, you notice that the raging waters are about to take him away forever. You're mulling the option, save the life of George W. Bush or shoot a Pulitzer Prize winning photo. A unique photo regarding one of the world's most powerful men. Now, here's the question you have to ask yourself and give, make, give this, make this an honest, honest answer. Would you select color film or go with the classic simplicity of black and white? Yeah, I know. I, hopefully that will get past uh, the uh, the Homeland Security Agency, uh, you know, looking for treasonous activity. Of course, it's not treason to tell a joke like that, but, you know, it could be treason-related program activities. I mean, after all, the administration has a hard time distinguishing between weapons of mass destruction and weapons of mass destruction-related program activities. I think they're different. Well, what did George Bush say, say to Diane Sawyer? What's the difference? I mean, would you draw the line between being victimized by an assault and being victimized by an assault-related program activity? Let's do a bit more levity and go to our old friend Dave Barry. Dave Barry's last Sunday column said the following. There's, things are tense in our house. Our daughter's about to turn four, which means we have to hold a birthday party, which means my wife is, at the moment, insane. Like many moms, my wife believes that a child's birthday party requires as much planning as a lunar landing. More, actually, because you have to hire a clown. Serious moms plan birthday parties months in advance, choosing a theme, Bob the Builder, Disney Princess, Snoop Dogg, etc., and relentlessly incorporating this theme in every element of the party, including invitations, decorations, musics, games, crafts, projects, snacks, cake, entertainment, favors, etc. If you want proof, go to one of the internet sites devoted to birthday planning, such as birthdaypartyideas.com, where moms report in detail the deranged lengths to which they have gone to stage birthday parties for small children. They sound like this. Our theme for Megan's third birthday was the Enchanted Fairy Forest. To create a forest in the family room, I made full-size trees out of fiberglass, which I painted brown and festooned with 17,000 leaves I cut by hand from green felt, accented with live squirrels that I caught using... (laughs) galvanized steel trap baited with Peter Pan creamy peanut butter. For the forest floor, I bought in four tons of mulch with a lawn boy yard tractor. For the sky, I used the actual sky, which was visible because I removed the ceiling and roof with a chainsaw, which is when my husband, Ed, left me. But the overall effect was well worth it. Barry adds, you think I'm exaggerating, but that's only because you haven't browsed birthdaypartyideas.com. Barry goes on to say that it would be different if dads were planning a birthday party. Dad's party theme would be delivery pizza, which would also serve as the cake, the craft project, and the party favor. The entertainment would be pulling dad's finger. The kids would have just as much fun. All right, we promised science and technology. Let's do some. 
NASA's Opportunity Lander achieved a flawless Mars landing on Saturday. By coincidence, it happened to have wound up inside a small crater with Martian bedrock easily accessible to the analysis of the rover. This has got scientists salivating. They're itching to get a reading on what the Martian bedrock is made of. And in further good news, the Spirit rover, which is on the opposite side of the red planet, uh, appears fixable. There seems to have been a memory problem that caused it to, uh, to misfire. It's not a hardware problem. They will be able to reprogram it and get it started again. And they've known all along that both these rovers would have a lot of downtime. So the fact that the Spirit rover is having a bit of a glitch is probably going to be not that big of a deal. They expect to get both these craft operational and strolling about taking samples on the Martian surface. Very, very cool stuff. And we plan to uh, talk to some uh, Planetary Society people about what's going on in Mars, which should, uh, should expand out over the next couple of months. You know, you can go to the Planetary Society website, you can go to NASA's website, you can go to Jet Propulsion Laboratory's website, or just pretty much any server is going to have this as a, a major news story you can click on. Check out these pictures. Um, prominent in one of the pictures I noticed from Spirit was a sundial. The craft contains a Martian sundial, which was actually suggested by Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye was in Pasadena at the Planet Fest Wild About Mars event that I attended a couple weeks back, and he was talking uh, about it. His dad actually built sundials while he was a prisoner of war by the Japanese. He, he spent a lot of time uh, studying the motions of the sun. He had a lot of time on his hands, and he came back with a passion for it, which he passed on to Bill Nye, and Bill Nye convinced NASA to put one on the rover. It's very interesting, and uh, we'll talk a bit about that. Maybe we can get someone from This Week in Science to come on this show and talk a bit, a bit about sundials. Now, here's a story that probably didn't get a lot of play. This comes from California Wild Magazine, which is the, the magazine put out by the California Academy of Sciences, which operates the, uh, the Steinhardt Aquarium over in Golden Gate Park. We've been, uh, my family's been members for a long, long time. I remember when I was a kid seeing Dr. Earl Harold on television explaining science uh, matters to uh, we kids out on in the KQED viewing area. I believe uh, Dr. Harold's daughter actually uh, attended UCD. We're going we're gonna to do a, sh a story on those, uh, those fine folks in the future. But let me plug their magazine right now because they had a great article in it about a very interesting development uh, in nearby Napa. Apparently not far from us to the west, the world's sixth tektite field has been discovered. Now, uh, a tektite has been prized uh, since ancient times. They're bits of glass. They, uh, they're kind of pretty. They have a sort of a scooped out uh, surface on them. They're only found in five different areas around the world. There's one in Indochina, Thailand and other areas. There's one in Australia. There's one in the Gold Coast of Africa. There's one in the Czech Republic and there's one in the Southeastern United States. Well, the sixth one has been found not far from us. Now, what a tektite is, is the results of a large meteor or perhaps small asteroid slamming into the Earth's surface and blowing out a lot of glassy uh, melt of rock all over the place. It blows it up very high into the atmosphere. It cools. It gets torn up by the, um, by the air as it moves very rapidly through it and comes to land across fields. It then gets buried by subsequent layers and... Um, 
you know, uncovered by geologic events. So you'll be digging around and certainly you'll find all of these glassy bits. Uh, when I was in Thailand, I bought quite a few of these because they do, they look like something that came in from outer space. And for a while it was thought they may have, in the pre-Apollo uh, era, they thought they may have come from the moon. Or it may have been extraterrestrial like meteorites, but they discovered that they actually had not been exposed to cosmic rays. They are terrestrial in origin and they didn't resemble rocks that came from the moon. They appear to be a mixture of extraterrestrial, but mainly Earth material that got blasted out by a crater. The search now goes for where, you know, where the crater might be. And um, I, I think they're going to find it. It's very interesting. We may try and go and uh, talk to uh, Sonoma State University volcanologist Rolf Erickson, who's the man who determined that, uh, hey, we've got another find of tektites here on the Earth. And isn't that interesting? Now, have you ever gotten a nasty, uh, nasty wound on your leg that you thought, geez, this is a bug bite, but it got to be really sort of uh, really nasty, maybe even like a little ulcer developed? Well, it's a pretty common thing to get. And in medical school, I, I learned about the brown recluse spider. And in the practice of medicine, which I've done uh, for a couple decades, which is my real job, um, I've often wondered on occasion whether you know, a bite that looked pretty nasty may have been from a brown recluse. I'd never been convinced in any given case that it was because, well, people don't remember being bitten by a spider. Interestingly, the same issue of California Wild reveals that all those diagnoses taking place in California that, oh, it looks like you've been bitten by a brown recluse, are probably all wrong. Uh, it turns out that uh, they've been looking for brown recluses in California, and except for an area way out in the desert, they just don't find them. Now, if there aren't any brown recluses in your environment then the nasty bug bite on your leg can't very well come from a brown recluse now, can it? The thing is, you know, it's hard to tell spiders apart. I mean, it's, it's very hard to tell one spider from another. Did it have a violin-like uh, marking on its back? I don't know. A person who appeared on this program previously, Andy Keogh, saved a spider that he thought had distinctive markings on the back and was diagnosed as having that at the, at the med center. But the truth is, uh, according to Entomologist Rick Vetter of the University of California, Riverside, there are no such spiders in California, and other spider experts agree with what Vetter has to say. Daryl Ubik, a nationally respected arachnologist at the California Academy of Sciences, says, in 30 years of collecting spiders all over California and identifying thousands of specimens, Ubik says, I've never found a brown recluse. Now, I don't mean to imply that if you've been given this diagnosis, someone committed medical malpractice. We are told, we doctors, that the brown recluse is in California and that it possibly could be causing these bites. I've been scratching my head over many a nasty-looking wound on an arm or leg and wondering, you know, could it be? And you can get various necrotic lesions. You can get nasty sorts of infections from various bites. You may have to have, you know, chunks of flesh taken out. People wonder, is this from the poison of the brown recluse, which classically does, in some cases, cause a nasty wound. And the truth is, in most cases, even the brown recluse does not do this. In spite of all the scare stories you've heard in the media, that even in the parts of the country where they know they're getting brown recluse bites, they normally don't cause major problems. It's the rare case that does, and that's the one that gets all the media attention. 
In support of his claim, Vetter's done some studies in the Midwest where there are lots of brown recluses, and he found one, one house that had thousands. They found thousands of spiders cohabiting with the people, and the people were not being bitten. Vetter has a website. He poses the brown recluse challenge. And until someone can show him the spider, he will continue to claim that there are no brown recluses living in California. We're going to follow this story in the future because interesting medical challenge. Is it or isn't it? The oopsie-weensy spider climbed up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun and dried up all the rain. All right, on that note, let us end this first segment. We've got a lot of ground to cover. This is Radio Parallax. I am your host, Douglas Everett, and you're listening to KDVS, 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. <laughs> 